good morning. It's always a, uh, a privilege to be up here teaching Sunday school with the saints. I, uh, I have enjoyed the interactivity in the last few times that I've that I've taught here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna force some some interactivity in this particular session. Um, you'll you'll be getting your handout here. You'll notice there's a couple of lines that you can write in if you want. I was gonna do a, a poll and put it up on the screen, but I thought you know what I'll just I'll do low tech today. Um, but you'll you'll notice there's a there's a question. I don't have the row notes. Allergies. I'm okay. There is a question at the top that that I want us to answer. So be thinking about it as I as I ramble on. How many miracles would you need to witness or experience to follow Jesus unconditionally? And we're going to vote here in a minute. Um, but but think about that. How many how many miracles would you need to see to say, yep, that's it. He's the one. I, I know it with all of my heart. Was it was it what he did? Was it how he did it? Was it what he said? Was it the way he looked when it was going on? Was the way that person felt when a miracle occurred that, that allowed people to say, that's the Son of God? And, and then having seen all the miracles that Jesus performed throughout his life, his, in, in his ministry, um, for, for people to be so wiffle-waffle with him and, and say, I'm with you, then I'm not with you, and, and then the, the betrayals and the yep I don't know him you know there's there's all sorts of stuff but we we read the Bible at least I do I read the Bible and I see it and um, they are events in history that we look at and, and a lot of times we divorce the we divorce the mundane from what's inside scripture but but we need to add it back in sometime we need to add back in that these people were humans and they had normal lives just like we do and, and we have to understand that and, and put ourselves in that shoe to really see what it is that Jesus was doing. Just the one shoe. He only had one shoe. Uh, he was poor. So we're going to vote. I, I want you to just think about it. We're going to put up some fingers. So if you need to put up all ten fingers, that's great. How many miracles? No, you. How many miracles would you need to see? Yeah. For you to say, that's God. That's Jesus. I'm going to follow him unconditionally. How many miracles would it take for you to see or to say that? How many would you have to experience? This happened to me or I saw it happen to somebody else. What's that number? I, I know it's hard to quantify, but, but let's see it. Put up your fingers. How many miracles do you think it would take for you to say, that's it? Hold up a finger. Two fingers, three fingers, zero. Zero, is that a zero? Okay. Okay. One, maybe. No clue. Okay, good. watching a sermon or people who are evangelists have these healings go across the stage there's one right after the other I can't tell the difference in looking so I think that would be a hard hard call yeah that's a great answer and, and it's it's the world especially that we live in today yeah. and with movie magic with what you see on TV social media and all that stuff you don't know because the next question is if you look on your sheet is well what do you qualify as a miracle if, if I have the sniffles and someone comes over, a pastor says, you know, we're going to pray for you, and he prays, and then I don't have the sniffles anymore, would you qualify that as a miracle? I don't know. Think about it. 
would it would it take something so miraculous that it is undeniable like a, a person who has no hands all of a sudden there's hands is is that what it would take so we qualify or quantify miracles based on maybe our past experience maybe things that we have seen things that we have heard things that have happened to us but not necessarily uh, or that, that have kept us from really seeing what the miracle is. I, I want to go through a few examples of miracles uh, specifically in the calling of the disciples because I, I, I think it's fascinating how these gentlemen were called in such a different way by Jesus. And I think what it speaks to is him knowing us and what we need in order for us to move forward. And, and in a sense, allowing the, the spirit to move upon these people in such a unique way that, that created that, that bond that they really needed. Go ahead. Well, I think when I think about the disciples and the fact that they were encountering Jesus, what, what drew their heart wasn't the miracle, it was the way he spoke. So if Jesus was speaking, and I heard him speak, I don't think I would have to see a miracle to know when I was hearing the truth. I think that someone who was truly seeking God, there would be, you know, a knowing. Just like the disciples, I think they had a knowing. They heard it, they knew. So it wasn't a miracle so much as it was hearing him speak and knowing that he was speaking the truth. I'm, I'm glad you said that. We're going to dive that into that specifically when we get to Simon's. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look at then... Now I want to I rush to Simon. I've got to be patient. Let's rush. Let's walk through Andrew and John first before we get to that good stuff. Not that this isn't good. So I was, when, when you, the way you asked your questions, uh, I was struggling on the word unconditionally because that really says more about us than it does about his sonship. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you look at Judas. That, that Judas is a great example of that. He saw it. He was there through the, the passing of the fish and the bread. He was right in the midst of him walking on water and doing all those yeah. amazing things. And you're right. What happened to Judas? Yeah, well, and it's not like we could make out spiritual report cards, but yeah. I think that Paul would be the best example of someone who followed unconditionally. Unconditionally. That we know of. Yeah. That we, that we read about. That we read about, yes. And <coughs> the other is all had their conditions. All yeah. of them did. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, anyway. No, that's, that, that's good. That's what I was... Unconditionally. It, it's a strong word. It really is. It's a strong word. And But I think about um, us as saints, right? What does unconditional mean to us, too? You know, we're, we're following. We, we, we're falling. We go through things. And, and you see the people that... The throngs of people that we had at this church... Many, 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 many years ago, whether they were following a, a man, a teaching, the Lord himself, we don't know. But they were here in this building, and then their decisions slowly over time to say, yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here, right? And, and then the remnant that we have left, would, would you consider yourself an unconditional follower of Jesus? I, I agree with you. It's a strong word. What would it take for me to lose faith and not follow unconditionally. Have, have to, having seen the miracles I've seen coming from this body, from this church, and the teachings that I've heard, the experience I've had, what would it take for the opposite for me to fall away? But let's look at the calling of Andrew and John. 
John chapter 1, 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where are you dwelling? Where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two, which heard John speak, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. There was two disciples here we're going to focus on. Simon right now is just, he was called over to talk, but we're going to focus on these two. The first one, Andrew. We know Andrew was there. The second one, we don't know who it was. The Bible does not say. So there's, there's speculation on who it was based on what comes next in verse 43 through 51. We're going to read about that in a second. Some believe that it was Philip, that the second one was Philip. Others argue, and this is the one that I agree with, that it was actually John himself, John the one that is writing this book, that it was that John, and that's why he doesn't mention himself. Look, there was two guys there. One of them happened to be Andrew. I'm telling you this story, so the other one was me. All right, that's, that's how I read into this, so I believe it was John, that disciple, the, the beloved one that was with Andrew. Both of these guys are with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is there. He's got a merry band of, of men following him around. And then he looks around, and, and Jesus happens to be coming down the street, and he says, there he is. That's the Messiah. And these two guys leave John the Baptist. They've been following him around. They leave John the Baptist, and they go and follow Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't stop and talk to them. He wasn't like, hey, yep, that's me. Thanks, guys. Let's, let's talk a little bit. He's, he's walking. He's not stopping for this. So as he's walking, these two gentlemen, they leave. They leave John the Baptist. They rush over to where Jesus is, and they start to follow him. So Jesus is walking, and he's probably looking over his shoulder like, why are these two creepy guys following me? He says, what do you want? Why are you following me? What's up? And they said, we want to we be with you. We want to dwell with you. Where are you staying? He said, I'm at the Motel 6 over here. Why don't we come talk? So John's disciples, John... And uh, Andrew walk with Jesus, and they meet him at the Motel 6. They meet him at wherever he happens to be staying at the time. And to your point, they begin to talk. And it's at this point in time that Andrew and John begin to follow Jesus. Where is the miracle? There is no miracle. I'm going to make that one easy. There's no miracle that happened that, that caused Andrew and John to, to absolutely love and unconditionally follow Jesus. They, to your point, they were talking to him. They experienced him. They heard him. They felt him. They understood Jesus, who he was, why he was here, what he was meant to do. Andrew and John were people who had grown up knowing the, the Lord, God, Yahweh, living a, a, a pure Jewish lifestyle and wanting to reconcile their life 
with whatever God wanted. And they had known about the Messiah. They had heard about the Messiah through John the Baptist. And now they were experiencing the Messiah, Jesus. That is what caused them to follow, right? We can all see that right here in this scripture. There's, it's nothing that Jesus did. In fact, he was kind of ignoring them and they still came. All they heard was from John the Baptist, that's him. That's the Messiah. And unconditionally, they said, we're going to go follow him. They dropped everything. They left their buddy John right then and there and said, okay, if you said it, we believe it, we're going to go. Now, if you look in scripture, you hear John the Baptist say, look, I'm not the Messiah, right? We, we heard that. We've seen that in scripture. He says, I'm not him. I'm, I'm, I don't even have, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. When, when I see him, I'll let you know. And it's going to be the person that, you know, the, the, that, that heaven will descend upon him like a dove, and he will be him, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's been baptizing people. He's been preaching. He's been saying, look, the Messiah is coming. Be ready, be ready, be ready. Andrew and John are people that have probably been ready for him to be here right now. We just want to follow him. And as soon as he said it, they did it. That's what we see here. Then, the very bottom of this, you'll see this. Andrew calls his brother, and he says, come meet the Messiah. He's here. Come talk to him. So Simon comes over. Jesus looks at him and says, you are the rock that I've been waiting for. On this foundation, I'm going to build my church. He did say that here, but we read about it later, right? On this rock, I'm going to build my church, that foundation. This is when Simon meets Jesus, but not necessarily when Simon follows Jesus. We're going to see that. But let's go on to Philip and Nathaniel. John chapter 1, this is right after this, what we just talked about. So verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and found Philip and said unto him, follow me. What was Philip doing? We don't know. Maybe he was praying. Maybe he was washing shoes. We don't know. But Philip was just there. And Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me. And what does Philip do? Philip was, was of Beth, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So same city. And Philip found Nathanael. Wait a minute. What happened? Where's Philip? That was it. That's all you get about Philip. Jesus goes up to him and he says, follow me. And Philip says, okay. And so Philip just gets up and follows him. So what we can infer from this section right here is that Philip was probably very close to, because he was from the same city, Andrew probably the same city as Simon, I'm sorry, very close to Simon Peter, the brothers, right? Probably very close to John. And so he was probably in that same inner circle of, of men that wanted more from God. They wanted to experience God in a new way. And they were probably meeting together and talking about scripture. They, were, they probably had their own little Bible study, maybe a little prayer meeting. They probably had... Um, prayer and barbecue at, on, on Friday nights or something like that. And they would just kind of cook out, get some lamb going, right? They, they were together talking about this. And so when Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me, again to your point, Stacy, he probably looks him in the eye and he says, I'm here for you. And, and Philip immediately resonates with him. Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I, I know you're the Messiah. Let's do this. He goes, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. And said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. 
I'm going to pause there. Pastor spoke on this not too long ago. Well, it's been a while. But spoke on this and, and talked about anything good coming out of Nazareth. I, I see Nathaniel as the cut up, the goofy one, the one that's always making jokes. To me, this is a joke. This is, this is him. It's not, I, don't, I don't take it seriously like, I hate Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth is the worst place ever. Can anything good come out of that? I see it more as a, a jab, a stick, right? <laughs> really? That place? Man, that place is the dumps. Nobody wants to be from there. That's how I see Nathaniel saying this. Is he's, he's not serious about it. He, he's taking it as a joke. And so when, when Jesus sees him, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, Of him... Behold, an Israelite indeed in him in whom is no guile. That's a weird statement, don't you think? For someone to come up, hey, I'm going to introduce you to somebody, and you say, wow, look at this perfect person coming towards me. Well, you don't know me. Why, why would you say something so nice? Why would you say something that is um, thoughtful and, and, and um, puffs me up in a, in a way? I think Jesus met him where he was. Not that he was poking fun at Nathaniel, but that he was meeting him in that same level of sarcasm that Nathaniel was already in. And so immediately, Nathaniel begins to resonate with that. He sees, he sees Nathaniel, and he says, hey, look at this great guy. There's no guile in you. And Nathaniel said to him, hey, you don't know me. Where, where have we met before, right? Whence, thou, whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, master, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto you, I saw you under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, Angels of God ascending and ascending upon the Son of Man. So, friend, you said this earlier. I've seen it all. I've seen the charlatans on TV. I see the social media posts. I see all the, the people talking about their miracles. I, I see those things, and they turn out to be what? Fake. They turn out to be someone just kind of messing around, or it's movie magic, or, or they're faking it. They're, they're, they're being touched and they fall down. They never had a, a disability to begin with, but they're getting out of the wheelchair because it was all staged. I see those things and it causes me to think, what's real anymore? Is that even true? If, if that can be faked, right? If, if someone can deceive me like that, well, how am I going to know reality? How am I going to know truth? That's exactly what I believe Nathaniel went through and why he was so sarcastic in his dealings with Jesus. Well, with anybody, really. Because when you look at Nathaniel and him say, look, nah, nothing's gonna, good, good's gonna come out of there. The, that, the kind of person that talks like that, there's an insecurity in them. There's, there's a place that they have gotten to where it's not real anymore, right? Everybody's trying to fake me out, and so I've got to be real to myself. I'm gonna just be honest, and, and yes, it's kinda hurtful, but I'm just gonna be this way because if you're not going to be real with me, I, I can't be real with you. Everything's a joke. Everything's a joke. And so when Jesus meets him and he says, ah, oh, look at this guy in whom there is no guile. You don't know me. You can't pretend to know me. We've never met. We've never talked. And people don't talk about me because they're scared to. So, so you don't know who I am. And he said, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you. 
I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Why is that important? Because that hit him where it hurt. That was truth. It was revelation. You think about the circumstances leading up to that. If this were going to be faked, Nathaniel would have had to have been under a fig tree. Someone must, would have had to have seen him, right? They would have had to rush over to Jesus and say, okay, here's what Nathaniel was doing. He was praying under the fig tree. He was probably burying something. Uh, he was doing this. He was doing that. And this is what he was wearing, right? And then when Nathaniel comes up to him, Jesus would have said that. All these little tiny stupid things would have had to happen for Jesus to know that that's what Nathaniel was doing. So Nathaniel automatically knows that no one's going to do that. That's just dumb. There's not been enough time for me to go from the fig tree to over here. And I truly believe that there's something special about that fig tree. I think he was doing something. I think he was maybe asking the Lord of the Lord something. I think maybe he was praying. Maybe this was a special spot to him. Maybe there was someone buried there that, that um, had special significance to him. And this fig tree means something. We don't know. The point is that we see that Jesus saw him spiritually, revelatorily, over in the fig tree, and he calls that out. And that is what causes Nathaniel to say, you are the son of God. So what was the miracle? What miracle did Nathaniel experience that caused him to flip 180 degrees and decide, yes, this is the son of God? What was that miracle? I believe that the miracle was that Jesus saw him where he was, so prophetic vision, and he spoke to that place in him that needed speaking to. I think he woke him up. I think he said, you need to stop being that and be what I've called you to be. Now, we, re we don't read about Nathaniel anymore beyond this. He just, he's a disciple, probably a good guy. He probably does, does go mir do miracles when he gets called with somebody else, right? He sends them out by twos. He, so he probably does good things, but we just don't know about it. But I believe that the miracle that Nathaniel experienced right here was Jesus speaking to him where he was at the time and changing his heart. Think about that. How many of us have experienced that type of miracle? Because it's not a visual one. It's not something that you see and you think, I, I just can't get away from it. To your point. It goes back to, you, you got me in the feels. You got me where it hurt. You spoke to the, my, my inner spiritual man, and you told me, this is who I want you to be. That, that was the miracle that Nathaniel needed in order to be this way. I believe that Jesus uh, did not perform miracles every second of his life. Can we all agree? When he's washing his hands... I don't think that was a miracle. Especially we're out of towels. Well, you, there you go. Uh, I, I think Jesus did some very normal, mundane things as he's walking around. I, I don't think that Jesus was, um, forgive me if you disagree with this, I don't think that Jesus was strategic in every single point in his life. These guys that, that, that were walking, did he ignore them on purpose? Or was he just walking? Was it strategic for him to just continue on and say, hey, what do you guys want? Or, or do you think that he was just walking and said, true them, what do you guys want? 
I don't know. I, I think, though, that Jesus was just Jesus. And, and that the nature of the miracle was knowing and loving people, for these two guys specifically. And, and when he talked to them, when they said, hey, we just want to talk to you. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm staying over here if you want to come. That was the miracle that they needed. Someone that was going to listen to them. Because you think about all the things that the Jews believed about who Jesus was supposed to be. Not, not many people know this. Jesus, if you look in scripture, the way that he is prophesied about, uh, Jesus is supposed to be a warrior king. He's going to come out of Zion. He's going to have a sword. Fire is going to come out of his eyes and his mouth. He's supposed to be this, this larger-than-life king. It's what Judas believed. We talked about that a while back ago. But he's supposed to be this, this conquering king in, according to Jewish belief about the Messiah. That's who Jesus was supposed to be. But so what were these guys expecting for Jesus to be when they did talk to him? I believe he touched their heart and really helped them understand that, look, you don't need the conquering king in order for the kingdom of God to be established here. He showed them a better way. Wasn't that what Jesus was all about? Let me show you a better way. Let me, hey, turn the other cheek. If somebody asks for your cloak, give him your tunic as well. That's who Jesus was, and they, they understood that. And that's why they, they really resonated with who Jesus was, and that was their miracle for them. So let's look at the next one. We've only got two more. My favorite one, though, is the calling of Simon. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now, has Jesus met Simon prior to this? Yes. We've established that. We established that John and Andrew were walking about. And Andrew meets him, John talks to him, and he says, hey, I'm going to bring my brother. I want you to talk to my brother. So at some point in time, Jesus has been hanging out with these guys and coming to their house. They probably talk all the time. I, I wonder if Simon Peter was doubtful, and, and here's why. And he entered in Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. That's, it's a beautiful story. So, G, so Simon comes over, blesses the mother-in-law. In, in one account, he takes her by the hand. In another, he just touches her hand. In this account here, he rebukes the fever. She gets up, and then she is able to go and minister to the group. Right? Uh, and we don't know what that means. It may, could be you know, passing out drinks and making hot wings. We don't know. But she ministered to the group. Would you call that a miracle? Raise your hand if you think that Jesus rebuking the fever and her being well enough to get up and, and stand and minister is a miracle. Most people? Okay. Sounds like a miracle to me. In the name of Jesus, well, in, in my name, I rebuke that fever. Stand up and walk. Hey, wow, I feel great. Okay. We would qualify that as a miracle. I, I think I would. If, if I was feeling horrible, had one of my famous kidney stones, and all of a sudden Jesus said, hey, get out of there, you stone and all of a sudden I'm, I'm great, I'd be like, wow, that was a miracle. I think so. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. 
Now, we, when he had left speaking, he was done. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fish which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, that is when they forsook all and followed him. But wait. Simon already saw a miracle. And he had already talked to Jesus. He met with Jesus when his brother Andrew said, hey, I found the Messiah. And, and they had a long conversation. And, and I'm sure Jesus was just as scintillating and charming and, and impactful at that time with all of the guys talking as as any other time that Jesus was talking to people. Jesus was convincing. He was um, eloquent. He was talking to them about spiritual things. He was, he was probably debating with them or expounding upon scriptures that they had read and, him was, and he was telling them, look, this is, this, is, this is what the Father wants from us. And so as these guys are sitting there talking, Andrew's faith is increasing, increasing, increasing. John, the beloved, his faith is increasing, increasing, increasing. Simon Peter is just there. And if you disagree with me, think about this here. Simon Peter just saw his mother-in-law. Maybe this is what pushed him away. He saw his mother-in-law getting healed by Jesus. Hey, she's really sick. Is there anything you can do about it? Well, let me, let me go see. Did he do it behind closed doors? Where, where people kind of peeking, seeing what Jesus was doing. Jesus goes over to her. And whether he touched her on the hand or whether he grabbed her hand and he looked into her eyes or whether he rebuked the spirit of fever and it left her, either way, she was sick and then she wasn't sick. Right? She was sick and then not sick. And Simon Peter saw that. And I think we can all agree it's pretty much a miracle. But it's not at that point in time that Simon falls to his knees and says, I am a sinful man. I recognize that you are the son of God and, and you've got to run away from me because we're both going to get struck by lightning. That's, that was his heart right then and there. You are the son of God. I, I see it now. I see it. Why did it take that miracle, that miracle for Simon to be convinced? Because that was the miracle that actually got him out of his dire straits. Yeah. I mean, the wife, the, the mother-in-law was like, oh, that's good. I'm that's glad cool. She's, I'm glad she's better. <laughs> but Great. he she's was better. under a lot of his own personal pressures, and that met his individual needs. Yeah, his individual needs. And that's really what this is all about. He met them where they were. I, I think a lot of people, well, I'm going to say it differently. We are all convinced differently. Right? Some, some people need to see it to believe it. Some people can hear a good argument and say, yep, I'm, I'm with that. I agree with that. Other people have to experience it. I, okay, I'm not going to, unless I, I see the, uh, 
the uh, nail marks in his hands and touch them, I'm just not going to be convinced. It took, it took this level of miracle for Simon to be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, let me add something to that. Yeah, please. From my own personal experience. When we went to Brownsville, I believed everything. I mean, I was totally on board. It's not like I didn't believe in Jesus when I went there, right? So I was, and I, was, I really felt like something was happening there that was a move of, of God and people were truly being touched. I didn't think it was charlatanism or anything like that. But, um, but I was pushed down when they prayed for me, whether it was an accident or not, I don't know. But I didn't know I was really mad and I was done. And so when the lady prayed for me, and I and think about this, so I'd never been slain in the spirit before, but I'm telling you, my entire body was, I think I laid there, I don't know how, for an hour, an hour and a half, and then I couldn't walk after I got up. So it was all very real. So that, it's not that I didn't believe before that. So I don't think it was that Simon didn't believe before that. But when he did that for me, I think it showed me that at least, because I told him, I said, now look, I totally believe you have the power to do this. So all this BS going on in the church where it's not real just does not interest me. I don't understand why a man feels like they have to help you out, right? And so when he did that, he touched me in a, a core belief way saying, I get it. You get me. I get you. We're, you know, you, know, you, really, you really only want the real. You won't accept anything but what truly. I mean, I just knew that that was for me. So it is. I'm sure that impacted the walk that ensued after that. Right. See? So it wasn't that I didn't believe before, but because of what he did, I guess probably empowered or solidified my walk after that. Yeah. So he, you know, he showed me his power right there. He showed me and that he did it for me. Yeah. I, I think that goes back to the very first question that we asked. Mm -hmm. How many miracles would you need to witness to experience or witness or experience to follow Jesus unconditionally? And you're right. It's a strong word because I don't know. I'm sure you can't answer this. There's just no way for us to know. But, but prior to that time, had that not happened and other circumstances came into your life, um, you know, some, some awful experience that you have had, well, could have have had. I mean, the, the thousands that ensued? Yeah, the, the things that have happened. But, <laughs> but without that experience, would it had solidified your departure, like so many others, right? Your departure from the faith. And, and I think about that. So what would it take for me as an individual? What experience would I have to go through for me to say, I'm done? I just... Whether I believe or not, I'm just, I'm done with this. I, I struggle with that, not struggle. I think about that because I want to bolster my faith. I, I think about my children all the time. I love my children. I mean, you love your children, right? You love your children and, and you wonder, man, if, if I went through a traumatic loss of one of my children, is that something that would keep me from knowing and loving God? And, and I would love to say, but right now the answer is no, of course not. Because I know that, that there's timing. I know that the Lord has a plan. I know that they're in a better place, blah, blah, blah. But I haven't experienced it yet. I don't know what I would be like if that happened to me. And, and I, I have to dive into God and Scripture and know who he is 
and know what he wants for my life and know that he's got the best laid plans for me in order to combat that thought process, right? And, and then I think about, too, look, he's never going to uh, tempt you above that which you are able to bear, but will with the temptation offer a way of escape, right? It's scripture. So I, I think about that, too. Yeah, he's never going to let that happen. Not that my kids are invincible. They still need to wear their seatbelts. You know, all that stuff. But, but you think about these guys here, us as individuals, and what it took for us to be where we are today. At, at what level of faith or strength of faith or whatever it is that you are in, what did it take for you to get there? I, I don't think I have a defining moment like that other than you when I was... You talked about the time you were saved, and you've always brought that up. I was, I was just about to bring it up. it was... It was the defining moment. It was the defining the moment. The only defining moment. Because it was so unique. And, and from there, I, I see mine as an exponential rise. In, not exponential. A, a slightly incline rise in faith. Because when I got saved, I didn't get saved and then stagnation happened, right? And that happens to a lot of people. You get saved and then you just go through the motions of, of oh, I'm saved and I'm gonna no go growth. to church. There's no growth. When I got saved at this church, it's when the church was experiencing growth. And I had to ride the wave, the entire wave all the way through. There was, there was departure, there was revelation. Pastor was changing um, the way that this church functioned. We were praying more. We, we started getting called into the nation. It, it just, it happened, and it happened, and it happened, and it happened. That's what my faith started like. And not everybody has that story. Some people, they get saved. I think about my daughters, right? They, they, they know who Jesus is. I can't, I can't say that they're saved other than, you know, they go to church with us, and they know about Jesus, and they understand, I think, that um, Jesus came to save their souls and they need to accept him as their Lord and Savior. They, they love God. We pray every night. But there can come a time when in that experience, it will stagnate. There's no growth. There's no experience other than just them doing this over and over and over again. So I was going to say it. You're right. Absolutely right. That was my defining moment. Does everybody need a defining moment? I wonder. I think the answer is yes, but you've well, got to figure out what that is for you. Go ahead. Bro. I just, uh, I have had miracles in my own life, and I've seen miracles firsthand happen to other people. And the uh, the question in my mind for years. Would you believe if you have never seen a miracle? Yeah. And uh, I'd like to think I would. Yeah. But it, it's uh, it's a hard question. It is a hard question. <laughs> how how do you? What do you qualify as a miracle? It goes back to how, what do you qualify as a miracle? I qual uh, qualify <coughs> just simply as something uh, that has happened that could not have happened in any explainable way. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that is hard for people because I'm a man of science. I, I, I believe that there is probably a scientific answer to some things, some things. I do believe in the supernatural. I'm with you, though. I, I've seen miracles. I don't know if I could say that I truly 
experienced a miracle. And I think that is my failing, not God's. Because here's the thing. We, we, I asked you to raise your hands. Did you think that was a miracle? And I think a lot of us think, yes, that's a miracle. He touched her and her fever left. But, but I want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. We need to put back the mundane into when we read Scripture. Because how many of you have ever had a fever before? Right? Everybody has had a fever. I, went, I was asked to, um, I, was at, I was called in for jury duty. Uh, I've only been called a few times, and I, was, I, I have a way of getting out of it. I'm really good at it. Um, I was called in for jury duty, and the first time I was called in, they said um, this, the, the case was this guy was drunk and disorderly, and he punched a cop, and he was at a baseball game or something like that. And, um, and they said, does, does anybody have any questions, comments, whatever? And somehow it got to me, and I said, well, you know, here's the thing is uh, my mom was driving. I started getting emotional for some reason, but... My mom was driving in, in her uh, neighborhood. She pulled, the, the cop flashed his lights, you know, did the buzzer thing. She pulled into her driveway and was getting out of the car. I don't think she knew he was here for her. I thought, she probably thought, hey, get out of the way. And so she's like, I'm gonna pull in my driveway and do my thing. So she got in out of her drive, out of her car in her driveway. The cop pulled up behind her, lights flashing and everything. And he said, stay in the car, stay in the And he starts yelling at her and he's, He's doing all these things, and she's obviously frightened, doesn't know what's going on. She tells me this story, so she's traumatized. I'm upset that he didn't handle it better. And so I told the judge that. I said, I don't think that cops necessarily always have the best in mind when it comes to the citizens, right? That, that they, they feel like there's a sense of power. So obviously, I got kicked out of that one real fast. I was not going to be on the cake. The second one was, um, that was just a freebie, by the way. The second one was, I was, I was called up and they said that this woman had uh, emotional distress because of something that went on. I forgot what the case was. And I raised my hand and I said, how do you quantify emotional distress? What, what may be emotional distress to one person could be just a bad day for somebody else. So how do you quantify what that is? And he's like, yeah, you're out of here. And they kicked me out. I didn't have to do that case anymore. And I say that because it goes back to that whole thing. How do you quantify whether someone is truly sick or not? And I think Simon Peter could have said, hey, my mother-in-law, yeah, she's not feeling well, but she's probably just lazy too because she's my mother-in-law, you know. So she's, she's sitting there, and she just doesn't want to do any work, and so she's complaining about a fever. And he probably saw that and said, I, maybe it's not a miracle. Maybe Jesus just convinced her really well, hey, you need to come up and help us out here. Maybe, maybe. How do you quantify that? Because I think, I think, we could all agree that someone that hasn't walked a day in their life and living in a wheelchair, getting up on stage would be quantified as a bona fide miracle. But we've seen the charlatans. We've seen the people who fake that kind of thing. I, I think the other one would have been, uh, we've seen this in scripture, right? The guy that, that is blind. He's blind, can't see. Jesus puts mud on his eyes. And then he's able to see. Oh, well, he's been faking it. He's been able to see his whole life, and he's just been faking it. So is that really a miracle? I think what it comes down to is faith. You have to believe that it's a miracle for it to be a miracle. You have to believe that God has that best intention in, in your life for it to be a miracle. 
And, and at some point, you've got to decide, either for yourself or for others, that, that this happened because God loves you, because God has the best in mind for you, as opposed to, well, yeah, I'm going to explain it away. Because every time you explain it away, you dismiss the potential for the miracle. You, you kick out the thought that God wants to help me. That's why I think Andrew was so ready for Jesus to be Jesus. He was waiting. He was expecting for Jesus. As soon as John said, that's him, Andrew said, yes, it is. I'm going to go over there and just be with him. I didn't have to see a miracle. I didn't have to hear about the miracle. This was before the miracles that he's going to perform. I know that that's the Son of God. Simon had to see it. He had to experience it. He had to believe it. And where did it touch him? It touched him in a place of power. I recognize the power that Jesus has. Because why? I told you that, that they're hanging out. They're, they're doing uh, the, the barbecue thing. They're, they're grilling. They're doing all this stuff. And while Jesus is, is expounding and talking about scripture and stuff, and Jesus says, look, you know, the, when the Messiah, when I come, I'm not going to be this warrior king. I'm going to come because I love people. And Simon's like, ah, oh, great. Another one of these feely good kind of guys. Uh, we, need, we, need, we need change. And we need change now. We need someone to overthrow the government. We need, we need Rome out of here. These, these Greeks that are coming in, they're, they're taking over our lives. And, and Simon, I think, is incest by all this. Incensed? Yes. Incensed <laughs> by all of it. Not incest. Incensed. <laughs> by all of this and he says something has to happen right now and it wasn't until Simon saw that miracle that he said oh he can do it and if he can do it but he's preaching a different way who needs to change here me I need to change my perspective on what a miracle is let's look at the last one no running out of time Matthew 9, verse 9. And Jesus passed forth from thence, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, that they, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What was the miracle? Did anybody see it? I don't see one. You see one? I don't see one. What, what caused Matthew to want to follow Jesus? So let's, let's look at this life. Matthew, tax collector. A tax collector was a person who paid money. He paid money to the government to have this opportunity. Why? Because it put him in a seat of power. It put him in a position where people had to come to him or go through him in order to go do something. So he's probably at the gate. Think about the door, right? He's at the gate, and as people come by with goods to sell, he looks through the goods. He, he attributes a price to them, and he charges them tax on those goods that then go to the government. As a part of that, some of that tax goes to him. That is his business. And as a part of that, there was a lot of bribery going on. So as these goods come in, and they're like, oh, look, I don't want to pay. You ever play Monopoly? 
There used to be a board. They've changed it now, and I hate this. There used to be a spot right next to boardwalk, boardwalk and Park Place that said income tax. And you had two options. You could either pay $100 or 10% of your income. So early on in the game, it was cheaper for you to just pay $100 because you had $1,500 to start with. I know a lot about Monopoly. But you have $1,500 to start with, so 150 bucks, 10%, cheaper to pay 100 bucks. But as you get better and start making money from the game, you're going to have a whole lot, and you're going to sit there and count it to get 10%. No, no, it's, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to be a little bit better about what I have. Now, if you're losing the game, then it does make sense. I, I don't have $1,500. I probably have like $600 here. So, yeah, 60 bucks, paying that all day long. That was what Matthew was doing. He was saying, okay, these goods are worth about, you know, $1,000, 1000 drachmi. They're like, I don't have 1000 drachmi. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you give me 100 drachmi and we'll just let this go. Okay, I'll do that. He was making money off the side from these guys. And they hated him. They hated him for that. He was collecting taxes. He was, he was probably uh, good at numbers and at his job. And he said, no, 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 you know, you're, you're going to do this and wheeling and dealing and all that good stuff. But it brought him notoriety. It brought him influence and it brought him money. All these people that he would hang around with were probably not good people. They probably with him only because of his money, right? He had influence and he was in those influential places. So we see Jesus walking along and he says, you, follow me. Why did Matthew even get up? Why? He says, follow me. And so Matthew gets up and he follows him. And, and, he, and Matthew says, Jesus, I'd like, I'd like to throw you a dinner. I'd like for us to get together and just, just eat. Because that's what they did back then, right? That, that was their way of, of kind of hanging out. The French do that. They, they like to just eat and sit there and talk. And so he says, I want to throw you a dinner. And so Jesus, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's get this going. So they get this dinner going. They sit down and they're talking. And they're talking. And what Jesus brought to Matthew, the, the quote-unquote miracle that we're really looking for, what Jesus brought to Matthew was the attention that he needed from someone. He needed someone to tell him, you are important. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I, I want you, Matthew, to be a part of what we're doing here. That's, that is what it took. It met him where he needed to be. Where Jesus looked at him and said, you're the one, buddy. I need you. I love you. I, I, you've got to be a part of this band of merry men. And, and Matthew resonated with that because that's not what he gets from people. I think that's why he did the whole tax collecting thing to begin. He was probably good at numbers. He probably recognized the business opportunity. But more than anything, it brought him power and influence. And, it, and people looked at him with disdain, but they also looked at him with respect. They looked at him with, and they treated him with respect, maybe not behind closed doors, but to his face they treated him with respect because he required that in order for them to, to let him pass along. But Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you, you come with me. Do you think G he had heard about Jesus? Had to have. Had to have heard about Jesus and what he was doing. Do you think he had probably seen a miracle? We don't know whether he saw it or not. I'm sure he'd heard about who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. He heard about this influential guy going around and healing and touching and doing all these things, right? And so for that guy to come over and say, you, you, you follow me. I think Matthew was like, yes, finally somebody sees my worth. Let me ask you this. Jesus had a secretary 
a treasurer. He had someone that was, was handling the money. If it were me, I would have given that job to the person who had the most experience with money. Don't you think? The most experience with money. That would have been Matthew. Who was not that person? Matthew. Matthew was not given the money to take care of. Do you think it was because it was like alcohol to him, right? You don't, you don't have the, the alcoholic hold on to the, to the beer? Or, or do you think that, that Matthew said, that's not the life I want anymore. I want to be just with you, and I just want to do the things that you want me to do. I don't know. But Jesus, I don't know if, I don't know if Jesus chose Judas as much as Judas took that job on for himself. But we, I, what I'm trying to get to is you see the change in Matthew from this experience right here because he's not handling money anymore. He's not the one, you know, taking care of that stuff. And whether it was his decision or Jesus' decision, I think it was Matthew's. I've left that life. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I want to be a part of what you see me as doing. And, and Jesus saw him. That's, that's what this one's about. He saw him where he was and he saw what he needed and at that table of influence. He said, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for those that need a change in their life. And Matthew thought, that's me. I need a change in my life. I'm seeing it this way. I need to see it this way. And that's what brought him along. So, so those are my stories. That's, that's what I was studying and wanted to share with you um, when I think about miracles. When I think about Jesus and what he's done for me. Allie and I started, no, Megan and I started singing that the other day, and she thought I was crazy, but it was fun. When I think about Jesus and what he has done for me, I, I have to not think of it in terms of miracles, but in terms of what has he provided for me to change to be a better person. Kelly and I talk about this every once in a while. We, we ask ourselves, who would I have been? Who would I have been? Had I not met Jesus, had I not come to this church, where would I be? Kelly says I'd be a dad of like 12 kids somewhere in, in the barrio, <laughs> married to some blue-eyed Hispanic girl or something like that. Um, but who would I be? I, I, I don't know. I don't want to know. I, I don't know. I, and I agree with her that I, I think I'm living my best life because of Jesus. Amen. I really am. Amen for that. And, and I, I have to see that too, not again, not because of the miracles. Because sometimes they're few and far between, and sometimes you can, I don't know what they are, but because of what he did inside of me, inside of me. Yes? Pastor Fabian, I remember very well when you accepted the Lord at that Christian drama that we had on that Sunday evening. And, um, I remember looking at you as you walked down to the front. I don't have never told you this, but I could see a transformation on you physically. And you know, in scripture, it talks about in different places how your countenance glows. Your countenance glows. But and so when I think back on that uh, experience that you've had, it really was a miracle because I had invited a couple to the church. And um, she turned to me while we were standing there. You were already in the front. And she said, I want to go down there 
I, I, I'm just taken. I, I think I need to go down there, but I'm afraid. And I said, you don't have to be afraid. And uh, immediately into my head, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you say that you will go with her. Tell her you'll go with her. So I turned and I said, do you want me to go down with you? And she said, yes. Well, we stepped out and her husband was there. Now, what was interesting about this whole thing is she wanted to go because she saw what had happened. I think that she saw what had happened to you as well. I mean, I think she was, uh, in her heart, I think she wanted to know God in a deeper and more personal way. But I think that she saw what I saw. And so then her husband was not on the same wavelength, and he, he became a follower. So the fact that I was going to go with her, he just followed us down. So that was very interesting to be in the front and to see this transformation on you. And I'm trying to talk to this lady about accepting the Lord, but her husband's just there because this is my wife. Right. Uh, you know, no other reason, really. And so I still remember that. And she did commit her life to the Lord. I don't know where she is today because we've gone separate ways. But I just wanted you to know that I, I knew that you accepted the Lord, but I saw it more as a miracle. And I think what happened to you really helped that woman. I believe her name was Yolanda. It's been many years ago now. But I wanted to share that with you. Thank you. I, I I, I never would have considered that a miracle. I, I, I think I've shared too before though that when, when Pastor said, um, I want those of you who feel, I, I forgot how he said it, but those of you who are ready to accept the Lord, I want you to stand. I, I remember just standing, like it wasn't a question. I, I, almost like he had said, I want everybody to stand. It wasn't a decision I needed to make. It wasn't something that um, I had to think through and weigh the options. It was like, hey, if you want to accept the Lord, stand. Okay, I'll stand. That's that's exactly what I'm supposed to do, and and there was no thought process to it. And then he said, um, I want you to come to the front. And I was like, okay, and I just came to the front. And and that's unique for me because I'm not that kind of guy. I need to weigh the options, and I think about what other people think about me. In case you didn't know, I I do care what other people think about me. I've gotten away from that, but at that point in time, there's no reason I should have gotten up, and there's no reason I should have gone to the front. In fact, when I did start to think about what I was doing, and they gave us the little cards to fill out, I said, yes, I've already been saved, and I'm just recommitting, because I was so ashamed for not having been saved before. And I wrote down, yeah, you know, just visiting, but yeah, I'm getting, I'm reaffirming my faith. I had believed in God before, never heard about Jesus this way. It was Catholic. It was, hey, there's, there's a God, and you need to respect him. That's, that's it. You just need to. And, and that's almost what God had to do for me, for me to get saved, is he had to say, get up off your butt and get up onto where the stage is. That's exactly, Fabian, what you need to do, and then you're going to accept Jesus. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I, it wasn't a decision. It was a thing you had to do. So you describing it that way absolutely makes sense. I would never have described it that way. And I think that's, that's what perception really is. And, and I, I was taken with the whole thing, and I was very surprised at the things that she was saying to me, but I knew that part of her decision was a result of what she saw happening to you yeah. in the front. And you were a very young man at the time, 
and I decided that was not the appropriate time to tell you. And it's kind of like so she waited twenty years. <laughs> so you know, and Willie Grove happened. It is. It's been that long, but it just came back so strongly today. Um, I think that my intent actually at the time was to tell you later, but later never came. Yeah. But the fact that you're talking about it today, I wanted to express that to you because personally, with my experience with you and that couple and what occurred, you know, I don't want to go into blow by blow about that. It was a miracle yeah. because you drew her in. You pulled her in. And I'm, I, I believe in my heart that she's serving the Lord today. I, I don't take that lightly. Well, coming back from Brownsville, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I knew that it was significant to my experience to that point in the church, you know, that I'd actually felt God for real. That wasn't fake, and I had not done it myself. I mean, he absolutely paralyzed my legs, and I fell to the floor and was out for an hour and a half. So, so to me, that was unequivocal. So that happened, but when you come back, what do you do with that? I yeah. had no teaching, I had no instruction, I did not know how to, to begin a relationship that was of any depth or merit. So what what happened after that? Well, what happened after that is that Melissa Stagaman, who had you know whatever her experience was there, I mean, we all had the experience of that anointing what was happening, but, but see, she had been delivered. A miracle had happened in her life because she was had a lot of things going on that none of us knew about. A life, not that she was out in, in a bar, right. and, you know, selling herself in the corner or anything like that. But she had her struggles that were real, very real. And she came back changed. And when she started praying every day and I saw her change as a person, that's what I said, uh, that's what I want. Yeah. And that's when what my, what my, um, my aim then was to figure out how to get that. And when I came after the Lord, and I actually just started praying at home by myself every morning. I got up an hour early, started praying by myself because that's what I wanted. What happened to her was what I had to have. And, and so to me, when I think about how God deals with each one of us is he reveals a particular truth that each one of us needs in order to, to step in to something deeper, a deeper understanding. And it's at every level. It begins with not being saved at all. It begins not even with the Catholicism where you do know there's a God. I mean, he meets every person at a particular level and, and delivers that truth that you either get to accept or you can reject in that moment. And I think that when you talk about people leaving, you know, why were they not? It wasn't that it wasn't unconditional. It's just that they were met with a truth that they were not willing to accept. And the truth that always challenges who we are and what has to change. Every single time you hear the truth, you either have to accept it, believe it, and apply it, or you reject it, and then all of a sudden you're not on that path anymore. You're slightly askew. Yep. And so the truth is always, is always the marker. It's always the thing that brought you to the front. You know, there was something that the Spirit was probably saying to you in that thing, and you didn't recognize the Lord's voice because you didn't know you'd ever heard it, but he was obviously talking to you because you didn't have to make a decision. It had already been made. Already been made. And so there's just a funny thing about the way he deals with each one of us. But he's, and see, to me, the way he did for me was so personal. It meant that he cared about me personally. And that, to me, was a fire that ignited a personal relationship. It's like I didn't know how to go there. 
but he showed me Melissa. See, her miracle was my miracle. And that's what miracles are about too. It's not that you see someone's hand grow back unless it's something that impacts you specifically. It's something you needed to see. And to me, that's why miracles happen. They're not just so God can showcase his power. Right. It's to impact someone's life. Yeah. And not even just the person not who the was impacted. Yeah. So there's, you know, when you said that, I don't know if I, I totally agree with what you said, that everything Jesus did wasn't um, strategically. strategically done. Because, I mean, certainly he walked as a man. But if he prayed every night and he did what he saw his father doing, then he was he was led to go someplace, and everything that he saw, he knew how to deal with it because he had already seen it in the spirit. So I don't know that I necessarily I don't, strategic in saying he ate dinner and that was strategic, you know. But where he ate, how he ate, and who he was with, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, the washing of the hands. But um, I just know that everything he did was led because. That was his whole purpose of being here. But he had to still experience everything that we've experienced. So maybe he had to experience not being led at times. But then he would see something, you know, not knowing what was going on, like with the, the guy showing up and he didn't know that they were gonna he didn't know they were gonna follow him, so he wasn't expecting it. So he was like, So what's up? But then as soon as they spoke, he didn't he didn't reject it, he yeah. went with it. <clears throat> And that, to me, then the things that maybe the father spoke with them the night before began to be revealed about why they were there. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just... That's, that's the heart, really, of what I think this message was about. When, when we walk, I, I feel like we have to open our eyes to what's going on around, at all times, just like what you're saying. I don't think that Jesus ignored them strategically, and that's right. really what I was I think he was walking. He saw these guys like, hey, okay, what do you want? And, and at that point in time, he had to open up himself to the Spirit to say, what are these guys going to say and what do I need to do about it as the Son of God? And when they started talking and said, hey, we, we just want to talk to you, that's when I think the Spirit really kicked in. He said, oh, here's what I need to do. Let me talk to them. And the years of experience that he had knowing the Father is what led them to understand, yep, that's the guy. But, but that, and that's really when I say I don't think it was strategic. I think he followed the Lord. So my call to us Open your eyes. Open your spirit. When you don't see a miracle, when you don't see a miracle, maybe someone else is seeing the miracle. So be mindful of that. There are miracles happening all the time. The fact that you didn't get the Rona, I think is a miracle. But, but why? Why is that a miracle? Why does it matter? I think we need to ask ourselves questions like that. Lord, what, is, what does this mean for me? Oh, it doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about it. Okay, great. But maybe it does. Maybe it does, and I feel like we should be asking the Lord at all times, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? So we're way out of time. This has been great. Thank you so much for your feedback and input. This is awesome. Lord, we just we love you. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the opportunities that you are um, opening for us to walk through. Lord, give us the, the, the mindset to walk through those doors to open up those possibilities of your love and, and your grandeur in this world. We thank you for everything. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.